Hello, and welcome to the Tarot to Go radio podcast. I'm Anastasia Hazler, here with me today. Rose Red, hello everyone. And Andrew, hello. And our very special guest, Robert Place. Welcome, Robert. Yay. Yay. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for taking time out of your Saturday to join us. It's, uh, and it was a little bit of a, a dance trying to get things scheduled, because um, the original date that um, we had suggested to you was the date that your exhibit at the um, Crafts and Folk Art Museum in Los Angeles opened. <laughs> Yeah, well, that would have been, yeah, it would have been awkward. Yeah, it, it, you were a little bit busy that day, so um, you have graciously rescheduled with us for today. And maybe you could just start by telling our listeners about um, the exhibit that you've put together there and what it's like, what they can expect, and, and how was the opening party? I've heard well, great things opening, about it. <laughs> yeah, the opening was great. Uh, I mean, people came from all over. The the, um, the museum, the, it's the uh, Los Angeles Craft and Folk Art Museum, which is on Wilshire Boulevard. It's exactly across the street from the La Brea Tar Pits, from the entrance to the La Brea Tar Pits. Well, how fun. And and it's right next to the, uh, I think it's the uh, Los Angeles County Museum of Art. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a, so it's a, it's a um, very important area for museums, and, and it's a very uh, established area. So uh, there was a huge turnout, which I can't, claim is just because I have so many fans. <laughs> oh, why not? <laughs> well, I could, but, you know, but I, I think in reality, it also was because um, the whole, there's a huge tarot community in California, in, in uh, Los Angeles and, and in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, San Francisco you know, has the oldest tarot festival in the country. Right. And, and then LA, I think, is second. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the thing is, the, peop, the tarot community was so enthusiastic because they felt it was a real validation of um, their interest in the tarot as a work of art and a work of serious study. Mm-hmm. To have a, a you know a, a a museum on Wilshire Boulevard to take them seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's some that's that, that's some serious external validation, as as our Fordian friends like to say. Yes. So, <laughs> so anyway, on, so you know, on the uh, for the opening, you know, there was a special preview party, and there was like huge turnout and. I mean, it was just the room was crammed. They said it was one of the biggest turns they ever had. Wow! Wow! And and uh, I did a demonstration, and and uh, James Reckliff was there doing Ooh. readings for the rest of the evening. Oh, he's so nice. Yeah, well, you know, I recommended him to the museum. Mm-hmm. So, so um, and and they had in, down in the shop. They had, uh, you know, uh, my alchemical tarot decks and other decks, and uh, they had uh, my, my book, The Tarot History, Symbolism, Divination, and they just sold out everything. They obviously didn't order enough. Oh, wow, wow. but that's terrific. So they said it was like, oh, my God, we sold out. We <laughs> totally underestimated it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, better than only selling one and having a gigantic stack, and it's like, yeah, oh, right. now what do we do? Also very validating. Yeah. Okay, and, th- and then uh, the thing was, the official opening was Sunday, mm-hmm. and there was an article in the uh, Los Angeles Times, and it was on the front the, like the inside front page of the arts and books section. Ooh, nice so it was placement. A page article with a big picture oh. of the world from the uh, alchemical tarot, mm. and the world cards from the Waite Smith and uh, the Atea deck, and wow, from the uh, original uh, tarot from Ferrara, and you know the uh, the uh, what else was there? The uh, the Aquarian tarot, mm-hmm. world, you know Marseille, I think. And that was the LA, so the LA Times, you say. Yeah, so it was on this this big splash of these full color pictures of all these tarot cards, oh. and, and and the article actually was very accurate. Mm-hmm. The, the um, um, Scarlett Chang did did the interview. She interviewed me and was very careful about making sure she got 
the facts straight, you know. That's great, because that's not always the case when one is interviewed. So then I gave a lecture on Sunday night, I mean, on Sunday afternoon, like at 3 o'clock, and they were saying, you know, usually for the curated lectures, they don't get that many people, but they had them sign up ahead of time. So the night before, they were saying, oh, gee, we only have we have 50 people signed up already. Wow. <laughs> and 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 the room's not that big. Whoops, <laughs> oops. So when you know when it came to three o'clock on Sunday, there were, there were chairs over the whole room. There were people standing in the back, out in the mm. hall. Wow, that's terrific. Had like over a hundred people. That's great. Yeah, that is. <clears throat> and yeah, and and so I I basically gave a a, a small introductory le- lecture for about an hour because my lectures are known to go on two hours in overtime. But, but I tried to keep it small because then I, we we uh, what I did is, is instead take questions mm-hmm. and it was one of these things where I, when I asked for a question everybody's hand shot up. <laughs> Not <laughs> surprising. Like, you had to go pick on people. You ask me a question. <laughs> <laughs> it was like there was like so many questions and then we're all over the place with the questions. Mm-hmm. And what really surprised me is I knew the answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, I don't know why that would be a surprise given you know how well, long you know, been... people could ask anything. <laughs> I, I, true, this you know. Is true. At least they were, you know, like asking about tarot, so it was, you know, a chance. Yeah, that well, you... yeah, but it really got wide of tarot. I mean, oh wow! It sounds like a like, great afternoon, though. Yeah, it was really great. So, so the exhibit itself, you probably want to have some clearer idea of what the exhibit was. Mm-hmm. Was uh, focusing on the uh, just the main focus was the trump cards, you know, the, the major arcana, mm-hmm. the fool and the twenty-one trumps, and they were all or- organized in the uh, tarot of Marseille order. Yeah. And they were all examples um, going back to, you know, historic pieces that were um, pivotal to the Tarot. So, of course, we couldn't get the earliest examples because they're very, very valuable and it was very hard to get hold of. So, right. um, the, the, uh, and we were focusing on printed decks. Mm-hmm. So we started with what I did is I recreated a facsimile of the earliest woodcut deck from Ferrara, Italy. Wow. That's only existed uncut sheets that are in uh, Budapest and in the Metropolitan Museum, and there's a couple other sheets around, like in Bologna and, and in the Yale Library and in some private collections. And But these card, the, we have examples on these uncut sheets. So you know what it is is that these are basic, were basically rejects. These were printed but never cut out and used as cards. Mm-hmm. So the cardboard they were on was recycled as inside book covers. Wow. So, year, you know, hundreds of years later, people are restoring the leather book co- cover, and they realize, oh, look, the cardboard here is our tarot cards. <laughs> <laughs> what a great so discovery. It's like a time capsule, because otherwise, you know, they would, you know, printed cards are ephemeral. People would use them and wear them out and throw them away. Right. And the only reason these exist is because they were in this, you know, book cover time capsule. Mm-hmm. But basically, they're rejects, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> But but we have you know there's like about oh twenty of these sheets in Budapest there's three in the Met you know there's mm-hmm. like one in Bologna and and, and fragment one in, in Yale and a few and a few actual cutout cards in a private collection in New York mm-hmm. so but the thing is because they cut the sheets to fit the book cover sometimes they cut through the card right mm-hmm. and so there's an example of all the trumps from this deck and this may be the earliest printed deck and you know the printed decks are important to me because. Um, this is the decks that people were actually using. You know? mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. You know, like when we look at the oldest tarot cards, they're always the hand-painted, illuminated miniatures with like gold leaf backgrounds, and they're obviously made for wealthy dukes, and and they look like they were never used. Mm-hmm. 
So, so uh, this, this obviously wasn't what people were using commonly, you know, playing the games out in public. Right, right. There were art pieces that meant to be yeah, admired. Yeah, there were art pieces. And, mm-hmm. and so, so we wanted, you know, to get in touch with the real tradition. There's only, there's only these uncut sheets, and then there's uh, an, another set of uncut sheets from a different deck that are in Washington. Mm-hmm. The Rosen, I think it's the Rosenfield, uh, is that what they call it? Mm-hmm. And uh, but this but these uncut sheets from the Met, Met are very interesting to me because uh, they're in the Ferrara order, which is I think um, fits closely with my theory about the Tarot. So anyway, so that's what we started with, and mm-hmm. but we the the order they're in, we reordered them to the Marseille order, mm-hmm. and then we have uh, two examples of the earliest Tarot Marseille decks, but the, but of course they're in the Library of Paris, and but luckily uh, Jean Claude Fournoy. Um, who uh, who lives in Paris um, made has made beautiful copies of both of these decks, and he they're printed and then they're hand colored with stencils exactly like the originals were. Wow! Nice. So, so we had his, yeah, so we had his. So that would be the uh, the uh, Jean Noblet, which is from around 1650, mm-hmm. and the Jean Dodal, which is uh, about 1701. Right. And and you know the. Those are some like the the, the Jean Noblet is the earliest one in the uh, Tarot of Marseille style. That style we call Tarot of Marseille. I, I, you know, the, the, the name Tarot of Marseille is actually a uh, a, a name coined in the 1800s. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not the original name, and it doesn't. And 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 neither of these decks were made in Marseille. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. like they have to be from Marseille. It's just that, that's just the name of this particular French style. Right. So. Uh, so we so we had those so that so that sort of built up you know we're building up going through time and going through the centuries, and then we had um, the an actual copy of Cor de Gabelon's uh, Moon Primitif, which is the first occult book. Nice to mention to us. So this became our oldest piece. So that was uh, that was volume eight of of his encyclopedia called Moon Primitif, which means primitive world. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the first mention by any occultist of the Tarot, and, and that's where all the misconceptions about the Tarot come from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that <laughs> right. they come from ancient Egypt, that gypsies brought, you know, spread them around, that they have anything to do with the Kabbalah, you know, that they're, you know, and that they're related to the Hebrew alphabet, or uh, you know, I mean, every single occult idea you can think of, like that, comes from Cor de Gabalon. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, so we had the book, then I had it open to the engravings in there, which are obviously. You know, based on the Tarot of Marseille, but he was, you know, he had uh, uh, Mademoiselle, uh, what was her name? Uh, I forgot her name right now, but uh, Lino, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so uh, anyway, he had her do these etchings, mm-hmm. but they were obviously based on the Tarot of Marseille, but he gave them different names, like the chariots, not the chariot, it's the, you know, Osiris Triumphant. Right. So they sound Egyptian. <laughs> Right. And, and he t- and one of the interesting things, see, we had it open to the page where he shows the four cardinal virtues. But everybody knows when you look at a tarot deck, there's only three cardinal virtues explicitly uh, shown in the tarot. There's uh, there's uh, temperance, uh, strength, and justice. Mm-hmm. Now uh, the thing is, classically, there's four cardinal virtues, so prudence is missing. Right. So in answer, so that you know, so he was asking a good question. He's saying, well, there's four cardinal virtues. Where's prudence? Mm-hmm. And so his answer was that, oh, it must be the hanged man was really supposed to be prudence, and some, you know, stupid German or Italian <laughs> uh, card makers must have turned him upside down. <laughs> well, that's one theory. 
you know. Well, we all know, you know, the French are this much smarter than the Germans or Italians. <laughs> Just ask them, they'll tell you. Yeah, right. Well, at least back then, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, you know, yeah. I mean, this thing is, I'm not trying to be spiritual French but no, no. Well, it's, it's but thing- Cordy Gablon did have an ego problem. Just a little bit of one. Yeah, <laughs> like about as big as this room. <laughs> so, um, so we open it to that page where he has the hanged man standing on one foot. You know, mm-hmm. he's basically turned the hanged man upside down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's right side up. Right side up, right. So he's standing on one foot and and avoiding this rope that's supposed to be a snake. Mm-hmm. Um, now the interesting thing is then. We also had a copy of Atea, mm-hmm. Atea deck. Now, Atea uh, first created his deck, uh, right, it was shortly after uh, Corte Gabalon's uh, book came out mm-hmm. uh, in, in the 1780s. Mm-hmm. But the edition we had was a, a, an updated edition that was done after, he, you know, after his life, which mm-hmm. was, uh, it was from 1870. And some of the, some of the uh, images were, were modified slightly to, to be more explicit about his Egyptian theme. Like, for instance, the, uh, the cards that would have been the, uh, the Pappas and the Pope, which later became the High Priestess and the Hierophant, and his, they were just sta- they're standing female and male Egyptian figures mm-hmm. in this updated version, mm-hmm. which represent the, a female querent or the male querent in a reading. Right. And, 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 of course, he totally reorganized his his trumps like in totally I mean just you know demolished the the, uh, <laughs> the sequence well, and, but it and means... rearranged it like you know the fool came out to be uh, number seventy eight <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it made sense to him at the time and uh, well so we so we so we had to reorganize it and and I think the uh, you know I was see I was curating this exhibit from New York and of course it was in L A mm-hmm. so I had to uh, you know email much of my information to them to get it straight and and right. it was funny how like uh, how mixed up the the uh, Atea cards got at first, <laughs> trying to line them up with the right trumps. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, so we went from that then to the uh, the Wade Smith deck, and we had an original uh, 1910 copy that w- that was uh, loaned to us by uh, Mari, a friend yeah. of mine, and nice. uh, who's a collector. And um, and oh, and the and the uh, the uh, the Atea was loaned to us by Dan Peltzer, who's fr- from the Tarot Garden. Yay, know, Dan. Yeah, you know him. Yeah. Dan's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, and uh, that was from his collection. Mm-hmm. A- and uh, the uh, the Wade Smith was it was it was it was just you know so familiar to everybody. Was but it was really nice to have an original one. Right. And of course, that's the most that's a cult deck that it went beyond being a cult to being popular. Mm-hmm. Because before that, tarot decks weren't very popular. In fact, when when that deck first came out. The name of it was the Tarot. <laughs> nice and simple. Because it was the only tarot deck in Eng- in England, you know. <laughs> and my, a hundred years later, how things are so very different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and and of course, it was designed by Pamela Coleman Smith, and and it's interesting because I've done some research into that also, and you you can see like in the earliest mentions of the deck, it was called the Tarot, and it, and it was uh, published by Ryder and, and Company, or Ryder and Sons and Company. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the early ads, they just explicitly say designed by Pamela Coleman Smith. And the mm-hmm. first article about it in the Occult Review talks about the research she did with in antique decks and how she designed it. Mm-hmm. And then later, when uh, it was in the ni- around 1970, U.S. Games got the rights to it and published it in the United States. Right. And they published it first as the Ryder Tarot, you know, using the name of the... They didn't want to call it the Tarot, obviously. Right. So they, because he was already published uh, the Swiss, you know, the IJJ Swiss Tarot. Mm-hmm. 
so he had to distinguish this. So, so he called it the Ryder Tarot, meaning it was one made by Ryder Company. Mm-hmm. Then he decided to put, make it the Ryder Weight Tarot, mm-hmm. and, then, and then that led to this misconception that Weight uh, designed it. That, along with a mention in his memoirs about spoon feeding certain images to Pamela. Mm-hmm. But if you read carefully that passage in his memoir, he's really saying that he's spoon feeding certain. Um, of the Trump images to Pamela because he's afraid that she's going to pick up things in her intuitive way and give away certain secrets that he doesn't want given away. Mm-hmm. So it was more like he was trying to edit a, her away from d- doing things than instead of telling her what to do. Right. Which is a lot of people don't understand this. You know, they misread it. They take the first line out of context and then it doesn't, uh, you know, they don't get the full meaning. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, so so um, so again, I'm making the case that Pamela Coleman Smith designed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, now, see, the thing is, not to to discredit that Waite had a, um, you know, he had he had certain ideas about what he wanted expressed in the Trump cards, and that's why he picked Pamela to do it. Right. Because he felt that she was an intuitive, gifted artist, and obviously that she worked in this intuitive way. And, he, and in, in his memoirs, when he's talking about her, he almost seems frightened by her intuition because he feels like he could lose control of her really easy. Well, yeah, she 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 Which had a lot to do. Yeah, well, I know she 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 was a very powerful person in her own right. And... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because you know she used to just listen to music and be able to uh, visualize these scenes that the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, brought to her and then and then people would look at the pictures and actually know which piece of music she was doing mm-hmm. yeah uh, it's, it's... so so um the thing so the thing is that when you read his his book the key to, to the tarot you can see that he's writing about the images very often it sounds like someone who's seen them for the first time mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like he's the author right and sometimes he even makes mistakes about what's in them. He doesn't, you know, he looks at, uh, like, uh, like the, uh, uh, on, on, on the devil card, he starts talking about how there's this sign of, of uh, mercury in the groin, mm-hmm. which is really a description of, of the drawing done uh, by uh, Elifus Levy mm-hmm. in, in his book on magic, which, which way translated, and obviously was an influence on the devil, but Pamela didn't include the caduceus in the groin. Right. And yet he's saying it's there. Mm-hmm. So he's obviously describing Levy's drawing and not the drawing in front of him. Yeah. It's like, so was he just confused or was it originally well, there? I think, or, he, think, I think he, because he's, he's writing quickly and, mm-hmm. he, and he was, I didn't think he really observes very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he was all caught up in his head and not really seeing what was well, in front you know, of like, him. Like everybody notices right away, you know, like one of the most famous ones is the Ace of, uh, of Cups, which, um, he, he uh, miscounts the, uh, you know, he says there's four streams coming out of the cup and there's really five. Right. You know, he, he didn't take time to count them. Mm-hmm. He just he just jumps to conclusions. Yeah. See, see the thing is, he, when people say design, like in common speech, someone might say someone has a design for something, meaning they have an idea how they want it to be. Mm-hmm. But when you give credit in an art book for someone... To, to design something, you don't mean that the person had just an idea about it. What you mean is that they actually either sketched it out in detail mm-hmm. so that other artists could complete their design, or they actually composed the visual elements and created the piece. Right. 
See, and that's what the word design means when it's given as credit for work of art. Mm-hmm. So, so what? So when most people, are, you know, you constantly seeing books where saying, "What did weight mean by this detail in the drawing that he never even put there?" You know, right. it's like, well, the question is actually, "What did Pamela mean by that?" So yeah, right, okay. And the thing is, and and his comments aren't always very accurate at all. And, mm-hmm. and, and he and and you know, and we can see in the early mansions, like she even did all all this research. For mm-hmm. it. it talks about the research and how it was taken as a work of art, and they even mentioned how it was exhibited at the Arts and Crafts exhibition. As a work of arts and crafts, which is so, as part of the arts and crafts movement, mm-hmm. you know. So, so from, from that, so it was, I think we straightened out some of those misconceptions, okay. and that was part of what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And then we went to uh, okay. So now we we come to the new age decks. Now the first, now a lot of people don't realize this, but the first new age deck, as far as I can tell, is the Aquarian Tarot mm-hmm. that was designed by David uh, Palladini, and this is one where you know we're. What happened is Stuart Kaplan of U.S. Games, like he had brought over the IJJ Swiss Tarot and got the rights to it, and mm-hmm. then he got he got the rights to the Wade Smith, which he called the Ryder Tarot, mm-hmm. and and then he said, well, gee, it seems like we could keep doing new tarot decks, and he and he found this uh, art student, uh, Palladini, who was uh, you know in New York at the time mm-hmm. studying art, and Pal- and see this was the time it was around 1970, and. Um, I'm not sure when he actually approached. It might have been 1969 when he approached him, because it, it came out in 1970. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I remember I was in New York around that time too, and I had been seeing Palladini's designs for uh, the signs of the zodiac, astrological posters mm-hmm. that were around New York, and they had a really strong Art Nouveau influence. And this is the time when uh, there was an exhibition in New York of Aubrey Beardsley's work, and there's a whole new interest in Art Nouveau, and it was sort of like we had reclaimed Art Nouveau all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And it fit right in with the, with the sort of a hip mentality of New York at that time. Right. The, sen- the sensual, flowing Art Nouveau feeling was just, you know, it was very much part of the time. Mm-hmm. And here he was, the, he was this artist that was picking up on that, and, and uh, like a, a neo-Art Nouveau, <laughs> we might say, artist. And, so, mm-hmm. and that's who Stuart went to to design this deck. So it has a very strong Art Nouveau feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's even called the Aquarian Tarot. It's if you didn't get it, that's the first New Age deck. It might as well just say the New Age deck. You know? Yeah. Hit number one right there. Yeah. Yeah. The Age of Aquarius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Age of Aquarius deck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The dawning. So it really did dawn a new age because within a short time, uh, then uh, U.S. Games started producing other decks. They they uh, they produced the uh, Thoth deck that was uh, designed by Lady Frida Harris, uh, based on the teachings of Aleister Crowley. Mm-hmm. And uh, originally, those were you know those paintings were done earlier, mm-hmm. but they were just existed as a series of paintings. Right. And then and then he produced as a as a mass produced deck. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's the first time it was. That was the first time it was mass produced for sure. Right. And that was later in the uh, 1970s. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, uh, but we, you know, I sort of skipped over that. And then we went to, um, we had the original artwork for my alchemical tarot. Oh, nice. So, the, which were done. Um, this is, you know, pre one the time I was working on uh, on digitally on computers. Mm-hmm. And so they were, so the way they were done is I did ink drawings that then I had film positives made, which are basically there's a clear film with black lines on it, mm-hmm. and then I painted the colors in gouache, which is opaque watercolor on uh, on paper on mm-hmm. rag paper, and then I laid the lines on top of it with mm-hmm. this clear film with the lines on it. So so those are what we were displaying at the uh, museum, and that was matted in the center of this whole 
uh, frame, like it'd be a gold frame with mm-hmm. that in the, in the center mat, and then around it would be all these smaller cards. Oh, nice, nice. Now, see, the thing about the alchemical tarot, although it, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's just another New Age or postmodern deck. What I was after um, was sort of breaking away from that and trying to get back to, you know, bridging modern decks with the original impetus of what created, you know, what the people who first created the tarot were thinking about. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I really think it's the first modern deck to actually do that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's so famous. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's just visually stunning. Yeah, that's yeah. That's <laughs> that, that, that never hurts, um, and it's 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 very. Um, I wouldn't say it's easy to work with in terms of being simple, but it's easy to work with in terms of there's so much there to work with. Yeah, and there's more and more you can keep learning from it. Yeah, and and it's and it and, connects you, but it connects you back to the 1400s and mm-hmm. the, the Renaissance and what people were thinking, as mm-hmm. well as uh, you know bridging the modern New Age decks with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so, gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, so, so, and see, that's why I, br- I broke, see, like, for instance, if you look at the Aquarian Tarot, mm-hmm. you'll see that his, this is an artist who, who was uh, obviously influenced by Art Nouveau and trying to reinterpret mm-hmm. the drawings in his, in his style, but his, his total reference for the Tarot only comes from the Wade Smith deck. Mm-hmm. So, so in a way, it's the first, what they could now call Wade Smith's clones. Right. Well, it's also, um, but but it, mine isn't. See, that's that's the thing. Mine mm-hmm. is not a White Smith clone. It's it's it's. I even go back to the Marseille order, and you mm-hmm. know, because because in the Trumps, how uh, in the Wade order, the uh, they switched uh, strength and and justice. Right. And I put them back in the Marseille order. Mm-hmm. So what were you going to say? Um, well, just um, David Palladini, who did the Aquarian deck. Um, my understanding is that when he did it, he you know was an art student, knew a lot about art, didn't really know anything about tarot. Um, but he yeah, produced... well, Stewart brought him, a, you know, probably brought him the Wade Smith deck. Right. And so he did this gorgeous deck that I love reading with. Um, it's actually um, the second deck I ever acquired. Um, and then he did, um, he later, he did his Paladini Tarot after he'd studied Tarot a lot. And I actually find that it's easier for me to work with the Aquarian, which he created when he didn't know anything about Tarot. <laughs> Just, hmm. You know, I don't know if that's... Yeah, you like using the Aquarian better. Yeah, yeah for, for me. Um, yeah, I like I mean, Aquarian. I, I think he really, he just sort of, you know, hit it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I like the Paladini tour. There's nothing, you know, there's yeah, nothing wrong with it. He's a good artist. You know, of the two decks, I work so much better with the Aquarian, and I'm just kind of, you know, intrigued by that and enter- entertained, I guess is the word. Um, but they're both great decks. Um, but I really like the Aquarian as um, a Rider Waite clone that isn't the Rider Waite because it's not quite so intimidating yeah, to people. It's not quite so clony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, yeah, there's that too. Um, but also just visually, I think it's a lot more approachable for people than a Rider Waite Smith is. So, is, is that the consensus on the board here? Well, I will think? have to take a look at it, actually. Next time we're all together, <laughs> if you want to bring it and show it to me, I'd like to take a look at yeah. it. Um, okay. So, um, anyway, so then from, from that, uh, from, from the uh, alchemical tarot, then I wanted to have a sampling of uh, some different m- modern uh, uh, tarot decks. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, the, uh, let's see, where's my master tarot? 
Okay, wait, I, I, I want to make sure I don't miss anybody, so I want to look at my list here. Hang on, just hang on a second. Yeah, that's okay. We're, we're, we're not going anywhere. We're all, okay. We're all tethered to our headsets and our mics, so. Yeah. <laughs> my, my darling husband has to go down to Los Angeles on business soon, and I'm hoping to be able to fly down and join him so I can go check out the exhibit. Oh, that'll be good. Um, it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's on until May 9th, but that's really not that far away. <laughs> no. Yeah, well, I'll be back. You know, I'm coming back for a workshop in March. Ooh. On March, um, yes, what date in March? Let's see. It's a Sunday. March 21st. March 21st. Right. So if you want, you know, to sign up for the workshop. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I have to see if we can fit that and find okay, some now, pretext now to go down. looking over my master list here to make sure I don't miss anybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we had, uh, now we had some interesting cards uh, by uh, Thalia Took. Mm-hmm. Called the Alphabet Tarot, which really wasn't published as a tarot deck, but I really I saw it online. I really liked it, so I had her send us some of them. Mm-hmm. And basically, what she did is she did these very narrow rectangles, tall and narrow rectangles, where she zoomed in on the detail of each card that sort of expressed what it's about. Like for the devil, she shows a hand holding chains, mm-hmm. or for the pope, she shows the hand giving the blessing, right? Uh, the benediction and. Uh, and then she has a letter of the alphabet. Like she just basically took the letters of the alphabet, you know, A, B, C, D, E, all 26 of them, and lined them up to the trumps and the, and the four aces. Cool. Hmm. So, so I was thinking, because it, it just showed, you know, that's how, it's just how could arbit, you could arbitrarily line this up with, uh, a, a, you know, the regular Latin alphabet, mm-hmm. <laughs> the English version of the Latin alphabet, just as much as you could the Hebrew alphabet. Right. And and I thought that was just really insightful because it just it just showed you know how it's it sort of like just having fun with this idea of lining things up instead of the, the occultist saying no this is the true secret code of the tarot <laughs> there and is it only... must line up with these letters and they all disagree with each other because none of the letters have anything to do with the pictures mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and hers didn't either except that they're just in that order right <laughs> so so I like so I like that and I would include it that one uh-huh. so. Uh, the uh, I also have this one. Uh, it's the uh, Finestra Tarot, mm-hmm. and I, yes. I'm, yes. and that's why this is the main reason I looked up all these artists because her name is uh, Shatria Hem Harn I t- probably totally slaughtered that name, <laughs> but if you know how to pronounce it better than I do, let me know. <laughs> that's okay. I'm actually looking it up right now. Let's see. Um, Chitria Hemharvibol. But, yeah, wow. Yeah, something like that. But, it, oh, my God, that's gorgeous. It's one of my favorite decks, Wait, actually. Rose, you actually reviewed this one. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. And it's one of ago. my yeah. favorite decks, actually. Because I, yeah, I well, remember. Well, well, what I did, see, for mostly the artists I picked, I felt these are decks that are popular, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like that are out now. Mm-hmm that are popular and that I felt were really outstanding artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this artwork really does have a very strong feel to it. But it's also not something that's going to scare anybody away when they're looking at it either. They're not going to run going, oh, my God, you're telling me something that's scaring me. Well, I don't know. The tower is pretty gruesome. Um, well, <laughs> but, yeah, it usually but is, for but a tower, it's, it's, it, it, it is it's, the way it's, it is. It's, it's, it's beautiful and terrifying, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Okay, uh, now I also approached uh, Paulina... Uh, Cassidy, who did the Paulina Tarot, mm-hmm. but I think she only sent us one card, Aww. and now I'm not even, you know, I'm not sure if we actually had it in the exhibit anymore or not. But I mean, she was was somebody whose work I admired. Mm-hmm. And oh the, yeah, and she, we, she's got kind of this fairy tale quality to her mm-hmm. work. Yeah, so they can bring another sort of feminine aspect to mm-hmm. it. 
And then now th- there's this other artist, uh, Evan Yi Feng, who uh, did the Lunatic Tarot. Oh yes, the Lunatic, the yeah. Twilight Tarot, which was which uh, Tarot Garden told me was the best-selling tarot deck of the last year. Wow. Yeah. And his and his his drawing is just phenomenal. I mean, he he, he basically takes a manga style, but he but he reinterprets it in a three-dimensional painterly way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a copy of this, and I also bought the um, the art version of the individual cards. Yeah, the, the larger print. The large mm-hmm. print style, where on the back side of it is the the uh, the traditional uh, look of the card, and then the, of course the front is the, the his interpretation of it. Yeah, yeah, and it's I, a it's I, a trippy I, deck. I, I just think that it's it's just really uh, uh, it's so well drawn. Mm-hmm. And, and so sensual that I thought you know it had to be in the show. Very dramatic too. Okay, then we also had uh, Patrick Valenza's uh, Deviant Moon Tarot. Oh yes. Which I, I I just it just thinks it's just it's just uh, it's so brilliantly quirky. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would agree with that. It is very Absolutely. cool. Yeah. I mean, even the what the technique he uses, like he basically makes these sort of bizarre. Bruegel-esque pen and ink drawings of these sort of like bizarre cartoon-like, dream-like characters, like mm-hmm. you know, figures with moon crescent mm-hmm. moon heads and you know, and and uh, uh, creatures that look like they just came out of a, a seed pod or something. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And and then he takes it and he, and he he puts those pen and ink drawings in his computer and works in. I'm not sure which program he works, maybe Photoshop, like I do. But he he adds not only shading to them, but he adds textures, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the textures are taken from his photographs. And then, and for his photographs, he lives in Long Island, and he goes and he photographs old cemeteries. Oh wow! And and, and, and an abandoned insane asylum. <laughs> wow! What a great and, setting. And then he uses those textures from the tombstones and from the brickwork in the insane asylum, and different things like that. You know, pieces of rusty metal or whatever he finds. You know. Mm-hmm. And he works those textures into his drawings. Wow. And then shades them. And, and he works them in such a, a two, you know, like he'll take what should be a three-dimensional photo of, of a brick building and he turns it in, and he sort of fits it into a two-dimensional flat-looking ink drawing of mm-hmm. it, but it's got photographically realistic bricks. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, when it first came out, it's like, God, and it's one of those really, you've not seen anything quite like this before. Yes. Um, and it's just like, oh, this is cool. This is different. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're definitely. They're just his personal vision. I think, and that's what I think I'm picking up on. All the people I'm mentioning now have a very personal vision they're bringing to the tarot. Mm-hmm. And you know, none of these are like uh, you know, Wade Smith clones. No, no. None. <laughs> and, which is fantastic. I mean, you know, I'll do respect to the Rider Wade Smith deck. Um, it's nice seeing people doing their own original approach to it and saying, well, here's how it looks to me. Here's how it feels to me. Here's how I see it. Okay, now the uh, the next artist is Chiro Marchetti. Yes, yes. Chiro, we love Chiro. He's a friend of mine, so <laughs> he was an obvious choice. <laughs> and I think Chiro is just really brilliant at using digital art. Mm-hmm. He takes digital art to its natural, surrealistic, dreamlike dimension. Oh yeah, especially with this this the latest deck that he's made. Yeah, and that's the one. They're all from the Divine Legacy. Divine Legacy. Yes, yeah. Which I think is his best work so far. So, so we had several of his cards too, and they, you know, they just, they're like, there's almost like a, it's almost like uh, 
the kind of effects we're seeing in movies now. Mm -hmm. He's getting in his two-dimensional or Yeah, right. he is he is sort of the Cameron of uh it's almost like Avatar. Exactly. You know, yeah, for, exactly. Yeah. For the yeah. for the Turo, right? Yeah, when I first saw the Avatar posters I thought, did Turo work on me? <laughs> they're just so that that dreamy, unreal quality. Mm -hmm. Um but but nonetheless intense and engaging. Okay, so now, now for the final summation. <laughs> okay, so all these these were all printed at card size, and they were all in this frame. But next mm -hmm. to the frame, there's a big print, you know, like a, a, a 17 by 11 print, or sometimes slightly smaller, of the Trumps, the fool and the Trumps from my newest deck that I'm working on, mm -hmm. called the Tarot of the Sevenfold Mi Mystery. Yes, cool. But it's the annotated version, Ooh. where. Instead of just having the pictures, which you know, you could go to my website and, and go to the Tarot Art page, and you can see I, all of I the. I think Tarot. I will. Yeah. Right, and it said, actually, I just pulled it up. <laughs> yeah, and then you'll see at the bottom of the page there's an annotated version of the deck that's mm -hmm. for sale, which is the, it's just the trumps with um, calligraphy worked into the borders in the background mm -hmm. that talks about the symbolism and history of each card. Wow, that's phenomenal. And that's what we had. We had big prints of those. Oh, those are great. And the whole purpose of this deck is to take, it's basically what I was, I started off with, I was looking at the, the pre-Raphaelite uh, paintings of uh, Burne Jones, mm -hmm. who, 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 by the way, was a, was a direct influence on Pamela Coleman Smith. Like mm -hmm. When she, uh, you know, when she was a child, she basically lived at the Lyceum Theater and became an artist by working on the sets. Mm -hmm. And Burne Jones uh, directed some of the set working there for particular plays, like uh, about King Arthur. Mm-hmm. So she, so she was, you know, she. We have records that she met him, you know, right. was influenced by him, and that's why you see that sort of pre-Raphaelite element in her artwork. Mm -hmm. Okay, but 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 the pre-Raphaelites basically were were a, a group of artists in England who who uh, they formed. They looked at art as sort of a spiritual, mystical, uh, magical practice. I mean, they're sort of the forerunners of the Golden Dawn mm -hmm. in that way. And they formed the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, and and Vern um, Jones and William Morris and, and and the historian Ruskin were all friends, and they uh, they went on a, a a grand tour of Italy, and Vern Jones just fell in love with Botticelli. In fact, they was they're the ones who rediscovered Botticelli and made him famous, mm -hmm. because he had sort of fallen into obscurity before that in the eighteen hundreds. So, uh, and then he loved Michelangelo. Now, it just happens that. Botticelli and Michelangelo are the are two artists that studied with Ficino and studied uh, Renaissance Neoplatonism and, and are the main artists who are expressing Neoplatonic mystical Renaissance ideas in their work. Mm -hmm. And these are the artists that Vern Jones in particular picked up on and 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 based his style on. So he so he so he was making this bridge between the Neoplatonic mystical philosophy of the 1400s when the Tarot developed mm -hmm. and bringing it to England in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, well, and, and so when I looked at a lot of his paintings, you could see he's doing some of the same themes that are in the Tarot. Right. Like he's got a painting of temperance or, you know, uh, he had a drawing of folly. That, and I said, what? So um, I was thinking, well, gee, it's too bad he never did a Tarot deck. So my <laughs> initial inspiration was saying, well, why don't I do, the, do it for him? There you go. And I'll just, you know, I'll start with this. So I started with the painting of Temperance and did a drawing, you know, drawing of it, like turning it into my style where it looks like a woodcut mm -hmm. that's colored. Mm -hmm. And and then I took the drawing of Folly, 
which wasn't which really it was just a sketch. It wasn't complete, and it was like it wasn't quite tall enough. Like you know, he has a certain standard that he got from Botticelli, where his heads are eight heads tall. Right. Right. And it, and it was too squat, so I had to like reconstruct his drawing and elongate it like he would have if he was going to finish it as a painting. Mm-hmm. And then and then of course I gave her a dog because you know I wanted you know to look like the fool. Right. And and for that my gray one of my greyhounds posed for it. <laughs> so they're always handy to do that. And bribe them with doggy treats, and you're good. Yeah. Right. So so um, building off of that, then I started. Looking, you know, looking at some clues from from his other paintings, but I realized I still had to start creating more of the of the of the different cards in that same style, with you know, just going off and pretending I'm Vern Jones. <laughs> Why not? So, um, so that's so that so I f- finally finished all the trumps, and then I realized that you know, as I was working on these trumps, I was basically because he was working from this inspiration from the Renaissance, that what I was ending up with was this bridge between the modern occult influenced. Tarot's and the original inspiration of what's in the tarot, and I, was, and I was trying to capture what was valuable in both things. Not lose, you know, because I think a lot of modern decks start losing some of the mystical teachings of the early deck, mm-hmm. and yet the Wade Smith seems to be in harmony with that often, but you know, doesn't go astray too much. Right. But I wanted to, you know, bring back even more of that because see, what the valuable thing I think in the Wade Smith deck is that. They, they both were able to look at the tarot trumps and recognize it as an archetypal mystical journey. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they brought to tarot that, that made it, and they made that available to everybody. And so they basically broadened the message, you know, made it more universal. Mm-hmm. Whereas when the original one is obviously a Neoplatonic Renaissance Christian idea. Right. You know, it's mystical Christianity, but mm-hmm. it, with that with that Neoplatonic aspect, that's you know goes beyond Christianity. Mm-hmm. But but that aspect then gets broadened in the new deck. So I wanted to keep that sort of broader appeal, but also still connect with some of the original ideas about it. So like like in my Fool, for instance, like if you look at the earliest Fool cards, you can see that the Fool is like a jongleur. It's a, he's a traveling performer, right? And the dog's attacking him. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt about it. If you look at the first that that. Uh, the Jean Noble uh, fool, because his pants are down and his genitals are hanging out, and the dog looks like he's biting his genitals. Ouch. Um, yeah, yeah, right. And, and, and that, of course, didn't, I mean, that image quickly did, was dropped because it probably upset too many people. <laughs> <laughs> it's and it's somebody's like, dumb- so we have the dog pulling down his pants and biting his rear end or something instead. Yes. Um, but when you go look at the Wade Smith, you see the dog has become the fool's friend. Mm-hmm. And becomes it's get, it becomes more universal and it's broadened where he becomes sort of the instinctual aspect of the fool. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to keep the dog as the fool's friend, but I also in in the drawings the fool is blindfolded and has uh, a, like this headdress with asses here ears, you know. Mm-hmm. So when that was connecting her to the Renaissance images mm-hmm. and the idea of blindfold being ignorance. Right. Right. And, but the cool thing is, is that she's stepping off a step rather than going off a precipice, and, mm-hmm. and she's just lifting, like the like the blindfold is just lifting a little bit, like she's cheating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like you know the the fool getting wise, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because the whole point is the fool is like the beginning and the end. It's like the, you know the the fool. That's why we called the whole show the fool's journey. Mm-hmm. So so mm-hmm. also now the thing was my theory about the tarot. Because I was, you know, all along I was trying to go back to uh, 
what were these people, the artists that originally thought about this, thinking about? And, and of course, my first clue was what Corda Gebelon said. Mm-hmm. Gebelon, I think I said. Uh, and um, that there's three cardinal virtues, where's prudence? Now, in answering that question, that led me into, okay, well, what were the people who actually made these cards in the 1400s? What were they reading and thinking about? Where did that come from? And, and where did these cardinal virtues come from in the first place? And, of course, the cardinal virtues come from um, classical f- philosophy and Plato. Mm-hmm. And Plato talked, I mean, and it even goes back to Pythagoras. Plato talked about how there were three parts to the soul. And uh, this is, the, and this is, a lot of people don't mention this when they talk about Plato. When you learn about Plato in school, you hardly ever mention this. Yet this is a key idea that works through all of his work. And he, he introduces it in the Phaedrus, or the Phaedrus, where um, he has a, this image, like he creates this myth where there's a chariot. Like we, all, like we have a chariot that represents our soul that exists on another plane. Mm-hmm. And the chariot has three parts. It has a, a, a dark horse. There's two winged horses. One's dark and one's white. And then there's the charioteer, which is usually illustrated as feminine because the soul, being psyche, is a female word. Right. Okay, so the dark horse represents the soul of appetite, which is uh, what, what looks after the body and body, bodily needs and desires. And then the white horse is, is thought of as the soul of will, which is, is more connected to our intellect and our, our will and our, our spirit mm-hmm. and drives us to do heroic things and, and, to, and to sacrifice for, the, for the, uh, the sake of the group to, to raise our status. And basically it's a striving for immortality through achieving some kind of fame. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, the, the charioteer is the soul of reason, which is the highest aspect of the soul, which is taking us to a place of, uh, of, of insight and wisdom. Now, this is the structure of, uh, you know, his masterpiece, The uh, Republic, is not only his ideal society, but his ideal society has to be ruled by the philosopher king or queen, mm-hmm. so the society has to be able to create the philosopher king or queen, which means it's also a book on how, how can you allow someone to become enlightened, right. or how can we become enlightened. Mm-hmm. So, so in his perfect society... All the workers who formed the, the base of the society, like the base of his pyramid, we could say, mm-hmm. uh, they, they are operating in the soul of appetite, the you know, soul of desire. Right. Okay, so we have to, so we have to balance that soul, because if it gets out of balance, that's where you get vices. A lot of people don't understand vices. They think they're sins or something. All a vice is is an imbalance of one of the soul levels mm-hmm. that brings its own illness. Mm-hmm. And what and what a what a virtue is is the cure, right? So so the virtue that cures the imbalances of the soul of appetite is temperance. Mm-hmm. Now temperance and a lot a lot of modern thinking people think of temperance connected to not drinking, you know, the temperance movement. Right. But the classic image, like in the Renaissance of temperance, is a woman pouring water into wine. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not saying don't drink; it's saying don't get drunk. Right. Like have your wine, but don't get drunk. Mm-hmm which is exactly what they used to do in the ancient world. They would mix wine with the different parts of water for the drink in different parts of the day so that, you know, they wouldn't lose their heads. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a virtue associated with Aphrodite, for one thing, in the ancient world. So, and it's the, so therefore, it's the virtue associated with art and mm-hmm. artists, music, and things like that. And in fact, in Plato's Republic, everyone was required to learn, you know, music because music teaches timing and temperance. Mm-hmm. 
so temperance means the right balance. It means eating food that's healthy, not eating too much, not eating bad food, eating food that tastes delicious, but it's really good for you and builds a strong body. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, creating works of art where you don't just put everything but the kitchen sink there, but you <laughs> compose it. You know, you have that, that classical refinement of composition and balance. Mm-hmm. Music that makes harmony. So that's temperance. Mm-hmm. Now, the next from that group, certain people became the warriors and protectors of the society. And see, each of these were operating in a different soul level. So now, the, now these are the people operating the soul of will. And each of these soul levels were associated with different parts of the body, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's, it's probably one of the oldest um, written descriptions of our modern theory of, uh, of chakras. Because, like, see how the soul of appetite was located in the abdomen, whereas mm-hmm. the soul of will is located in the heart. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, that's, you know, one of the virtues of the soul of, of uh Will it would be courage, which of course the root of courage is core, which means heart. Right. So you can see how this is captured in our language. Okay. So the, so these these people, obviously, as they 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 exercise and develop their strength and their martial arts, and they and they and they and and they're willing to you know sacrifice their lives as need be for for the will of uh, you know for the for the uh, benefit of their society. So the, so they're operating from the heart out of love. But also, because of the power they have, they could fall into anger and abuse, which would be the vice. Mm-hmm. So the, the virtue they need is strength or fortitude, which would be taught through uh, gymnastics. And, and uh, which in, that, in, in gymnastics in uh, ancient times included proper diet and uh, re, you know, restraining your, your uh, desires and you know, fasting and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. In fact, the word asceticism originally meant the... Uh, the uh, practices of an athlete. Mm-hmm. So from this group, a smaller group yet could rise to become the leaders, the people who, who made decisions, the, the, uh, the, uh, who directed the society. And these people uh, would be operating in the soul of reason. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. These people needed to operate uh, from the soul reason, so, so they needed the, the what, what Plato said is they needed the the uh, virtue, prudence, mm-hmm. so they didn't fall into egotism and pride and you know, because they have an exalted position, and prudence was taught by teaching them logic mm-hmm. through mathematics. Now from that group, one person through the study of philosophy, you know, they also would, would study philosophy at that level, which is the love of wisdom, mm-hmm. and the one person who achieved. The true, became, you know, the true insight of philosophy, which was to become the embodiment of justice, which he, he defined as a divine principle, then became suitable to become the philosopher king or queen mm-hmm. and rule the society. So you see, so there's a hierarchy. So that's where the, the four cardinal virtues come from. Mm-hmm. And there's a hierarchy naturally created in them that goes with the, with the different soul levels. Now, this whole idea was Christianized. First of all, it was picked up by... Uh, uh, you know, other other philosophers after this, this this uh, this philosophy from Plato was picked up by later philosophers, particularly the Stoics, uh, who, because of their emphasis on the anima mundi, the soul of the world, and how they they identified her, this female entity, with prudence, they switched the order of uh, justice and prudence. Mm-hmm. Okay, now so that's the order. Um, that was brought to Italy and influenced the early uh, 
the, the Roman writers like Cicero and the early Christian writers who, who basically Christianized Plato and brought it to the West, like uh, St. Augustine and St. Ambrose. In mm-hmm. fact, it was St. Ambrose who first called the virtues cardinal. He's the one who coined that word. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, that, so these became a standard aspect of the symbolism of the, of the medie- medieval uh, churches and sculptures and then right into the Renaissance. So you, like when you go to Renaissance Italy, you see them all over. Like you'll see them in Florence in, in the, uh, the, the main square uh, mm-hmm. on, 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 the, on the porch, the face of the square. You'll see the four cardinal virtues sculpted mm-hmm. there. And it, it, it was just, I mean, they're ubiquitous. They're all over the place. And, and, but the system that goes with them was totally Christianized. And this is, you know, because a lot of people say, well, you know, how, how, why would the Tarot people be thinking about this idea from Plato? But this was totally what our Western culture is based on. And, was, and, and being, you're showing three aspects of the soul where it's, um, there's a trinity, which it totally fits into Christian thinking that there should be this symbolic threefold system. Right. And, th- and then it came down to most people as, the, the soul of uh, appetite relates to the body, the, the soul of will to the mind, and the, uh, the soul of reason to the spirit or the soul. So, you know, we, that, that's a common idea. A lot of people, you know, we all think, oh, yeah, we, we have a, a you know, body, mind, and spirit, mm-hmm. mind, and soul, something like that. And in fact, there's even modern uh, scientific systems where they talk about, you know, the reptilian mind and, and the mammalian mind and, and the... Uh, and the, the uh, the uh, mind that's more human, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so we have these different levels of our mind, which correspond totally to what Plato was talking about. Mm-hmm. So, um, this system now was picked up by uh, Thomas Aquinas, for one, who wrote about, extensively about the virtues. And he talks about the virtues. He said, when we have temperance, strength, and justice, these are the three parts of prudence. So, so when we have these, we already have prudence. Mm-hmm. Prudence is the culmination of the three and goes beyond that. And then, so, so in his way of looking at it, prudence becomes enlightenment. It's not just, like, see, originally when Plato was talking about prudence, it was like intelligence or reason. But now prudence becomes something more. It's more like what we would think of as, as real insight, wisdom, enlightenment, like like that, like hooking to that divine spark. Mm-hmm. And then and then he goes on to say, and then prudence in her Christian form as Sophia becomes the mother of the Christian virtues, faith, hope, and charity, mm-hmm. and that gives us the seven virtues. And the reason that in Christianity we want to have those seven virtues is because there were seven soul centers or seven soul levels, and that each of these virtues purified one of the soul. Level. So we find that sevenfold system all through our whole Western culture, hmm. and this is sort of what we, re, you know, when we discovered in the uh, 20th century, discovered the system of the chakras, mm-hmm. was brought, brought to us by theosophists, like in you know around 1900, mm-hmm. uh, and, and sort of what we, you know, in in India and and uh, Tibet and China, where the where the system comes from, there's all different numbers of uh, chakras. Mm-hmm. Not, there's not just seven. There could be all different systems, but it was the sevenfold one that we picked up on. Right. Not realizing at first that this is this is the system that our whole culture is based on. Mm-hmm. It's like we and as we rediscovered our own system in Asia. Right. And 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 most of the things we've 
added to it over time. We don't, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that we really reconstructed and sort of rediscovered our own system. And it's not even what well, we, what well, most books you look at and they talk about the chakras. It's not talking about what they do in India at all. No, like the whole idea that the that there's seven colors in the in the uh, spectrum, and that these seven colors should line up with the chakras. That they never taught that in India. No, it's, this it's, was first mentioned by uh, somebody, in, I think, one of the writers in the 1950s, who mm-hmm. was picking up on the spectrum. But the spectrum comes to us from uh, uh, Newton, who, when you know, he split, he split light with a prism, and then he saw the rainbow colors, and then he, I mean, the colors in a rainbow fade into one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so you could say there's 700 colors. Or, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you don't have to say there's seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, particularly picked seven colors because. He comes out, he came out of that tradition. He studied alchemy. He was, right. you know, and alchemy is filled with these sevenfold systems. Mm-hmm. So he was predisposed to see seven colors. Right. And and then now we, in the in 1950, somebody takes those and lines them to the chakras. You know, and it's like, but that but they came. The whole reason he saw seven colors in the first place is because it's coming out of our own natural system of these seven soul centers, which is why we have seven virtues, seven vices, seven days of the week, seven notes in our music scale. You know, mm-hmm. on and on. I mean, it's why seven's a lucky number, and you know, yeah. Like, look at James Bond, right? <laughs> exactly. Seven. Double seven, yeah. Yeah, double seven. Well, you know, mm-hmm. the interesting thing is, double seven. John D, who was uh, who worked for Queen Elizabeth, who was his, his her astrologer in, uh, and he was a famous magician. Mm-hmm. He used to work for her as a spy, and his code number was oh seven. Mm-hmm. Oh, how fun! I did not know that. Ian Fleming that. got the idea from. That's terrific. I love it. Yeah, just, so you see, all these things keep connecting back. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, well, that's just a coincidence. No, it isn't. No. That's great. I love it. <laughs> they all connect back. Wow. You so, know, and the, and the reason there's, there's seven uh, days in the week is because they line up with the seven planets of the ancients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The seven planets were considered the soul centers of the universe, and they were supposed to be echoed in our body. Hmm. And wow. that's why there's seven notes in the scale, because when Pythagoras looked into this and felt that they were echoed in the body, then he created the music scale to mm-hmm. capture the actual sounds that emanated from these planets. And mm-hmm. then he would use his, his lyre, his seven-string lyre, called the Kathara, to, to uh, retune people's chakras or soul centers mm-hmm. and heal them. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the oldest mention of that. You know, I know when I teach at the Open Center, there's people teaching this, this course on music you know, for the chakras, Right. That comes from India, but the thing is, there's nothing in India about this going back to that to the date of Pythagoras. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. so, you know, a very Western idea. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. obviously these are universal ideas. Why are they all, you know, I mean, not to say they had to originate from Europe or had to originate from mm-hmm. Asia, but, the, but, there is a, but there is a particular strain. The number seven is very important to Western culture. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. that, so now, what we have when we look at the... At the at the uh, tarot to get us back to the tarot, which you might have forgotten. Which that's what we started. With. <laughs> All right, yeah, that. <laughs> okay, so when we look at the trumps, which remember now the trumps are actually they're not uh, the fool isn't a trump. The fool is taking this journey. He's a wild mm-hmm. card. Right. The trumps are numbered from one to twenty-one. Mm-hmm. Now those fit. You know, every uh, most writers, even Michael Dummett, who doesn't even try to talk about the symbolism of the tarot very much, m- mentions that there's these three groups of seven. Mm-hmm. And that each have a distinct character, mm-hmm. and, and no matter what, are the, what early order you look at, you know because all the numbers in the cards could change. Because if you look at the early orders, the, the, it's the cardinal virtues in particular really change the position drastically. And mm-hmm. if you take, like for instance, like in the Ferrara order, 
justice is number uh, number 20, right. just before the world. So mm-hmm. if you move justice from 8 to 20, and then you, all the numbers in between have changed. Mm-hmm. So the numbering wasn't really important, but the order was. Mm-hmm. And you can see that the basic order of the cards remains the same. Like, for instance, the four temporal rulers, you know, the papas to the pope, mm-hmm. are always there in that same group in the beginning, but they, but they, their order within the group might change. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the chariot and the lovers could switch positions, or, you know, the, the, the world and, and, and a judgment could switch positions, mm-hmm. things like that. But, it's the, but the cardinal virtue is the ones that move all over the place. Mm-hmm. So, so in all the three early orders, we can still divide them into uh, three groups of seven. And what, are, and what you know, seven's our mystic number. Mm-hmm. That we just explained, mm-hmm. and you know, which represents a hierarchy moving up to the seven layers, and then we're doing it three times, which re- represents that hierarchy of the three soul levels. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the first group of cards, we have the four temporal rulers, which means they rule over the physical world of time, mm-hmm. and they're all paired in couples, and then they're trumped by by uh, Cupid, right. who wow. represents lust, basically. Mm-hmm. And then and then the charioteer representing virtue triumphs over him. And then moves on to the soul of will, because mm-hmm. he represents the hero. Now, the hero must face death and suffering. And what do we find in the second group? We find death and, and suffering. suffering. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hangman, death, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. The wheel of fortune, which doesn't really mean good luck at all, but <laughs> means the problem of mortality. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we have the hermit, who originally was a figure of time. Mm-hmm. See, again, the problem. But we also have, now, in the Marseille order, we have the virtues in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then... We have the last group where we go from the devil up to the world. And the world doesn't represent the world, but it represents the soul of the world, the anima mundi being expressed, mm-hmm. you know, being shown. And, and we're going to greater and greater heights and, and, and figures of greater and greater light, like the star, the moon, the sun, mm-hmm. moving up. And then we have the, the judgment, which is a similar resurrection, overcoming death. We're overcoming time. We're overcoming death. We're going to greater and greater light till we get to the world. So we start with the lowest figure we can, the devil. Mm-hmm. So at this point... We, we we have to rep, rep, you know recognize what's holding us back mm-hmm. the things that we we now can clearly see the devil see our fallacies see the things that enslave us and mm-hmm. then the next card the tower is a breakthrough where these things are being broken and, and thrown away mm-hmm. in fact all of these the last seven cards are all based on illustrations from uh, revelation in the bible originally mm-hmm. so so then it moves us up to the world which you know the world figure is uh this beautiful woman representing uh, the anima mundi, and who is the anima mundi but prudence, as right. I just explained, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, so, you know, they'll go like the way the Stoics saw it. Mm-hmm. So, so the, uh, this order is what I was trying to express with, you know, the whole display, and then also particularly with the, uh, the sevenfold mystery, because mm-hmm. now you know what the sevenfold mystery is. Mm-hmm. So with the wow. world card in the sevenfold mystery shows this beautiful nude with, instead of the four evangelists in the corner, she has symbols for the four cardinal elements, and mm-hmm. then she's holding the three Christian elements. Nice. Wow. Very and, nice. And she's back, and basically balanced all the, all the soul centers. So, so, so basically what this is, this is our, our Western yoga. In other words, when we practice the virtues, we're balancing the soul centers, bringing them to health, and then bringing us our, ourselves up to a higher consciousness. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so, so that's sort of, that's a, that's the emphasis of the show. The, the wow. all together. And that's going to be playing through May. May nine. Yeah. May 9. Okay. 
Yes. It's playing. It's, 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 just, it's sort of hanging on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's displaying, yes. not yes. necessarily playing, yes. but displaying for sure. But, uh, but wow, that's that's fantastic. And, and just the sheer amount of thought you've put into it instead of just framing a bunch of stuff and hanging on the wall. Um, yeah, well, they fantastic. said that they had the, this is the most educational <laughs> material they ever had in an exhibit. <laughs> Well, like there's too much to read. You know, people are like hanging out for a really long time because they have to read the whole thing. Yeah, no, definitely. That, that's great. Well, it's it, you know, it's 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 like all of your work. There's a lot there. I was um, reading. Oh, I can't remember. Um, 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 uh, ah, Tarot symbolism. What's your book on symbolism? I'm just blanking. Oh, the, here. the Tarot history. Yes. Uh, symbolism and divination. Yeah, and and the first time I read it, um, it's like, so how does he get more words per page? than the average book. <laughs> there's just so much, there's so much content on each page. It's like, well, it's the same number of books, but the content is so much richer and there's so much more there. And, um, well, it's like a distillation process. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's fantastic. And it's one of the reasons that I love your work is just, there's so much there. there. Um, anyway, so, so speaking of distillation, we're, we're coming up on the end of our time here. Um, and I'm, I appreciate that you've taken so much time for us. It's, it's great. Um, just aside from this um, fantastic show at the Los Angeles Craft and Folk Art Museum, which is going through May 9th, 2010, so people need to get to Los Angeles soon and see it. Um, you do a lot of teaching at the um, New York Open Center, and you'll also be presenting at this year's Reader's Studio in New York at the end of April. Correct. So if people want more of you and... Well, well I'll be doing a workshop at the museum right that's oh that's the one on march 21st yes on march 21st mm -hmm. and then i'll be um uh starting my uh workshop at the um new york open center mm -hmm. on let's say i'm looking at my calendar mm -hmm. okay the that starts on april 20th mm -hmm. and then the reader studio is april 22nd to the 25th and right. i'm not sure what day my presentation is but you have to come to the whole thing anyway oh yeah you no. wouldn't want to miss it also, also, on the 21st, I'm going to be at the Metropolitan Museum giving a lecture on uh, the early, uh, the uncut deck from Ferrara. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I'm looking at your calendar thinking, okay, so how but, uh, but that's already filled up. Wow, that's great. Wow. So, so there aren't any openings for that. And, wow. and, the, and the one at the, at the museum in Los Angeles is filling up rapidly. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can imagine. Wow. No, all these events and everything are, are mentioned on your website? Yeah. Okay, and you want to give the uh, URL for that? Okay, uh, it's thealchemicalegg.com. Excellent. Yes, and for people who can't spell alchemical or don't want to try, just do a search for Robert Place Tarot and bang, it takes you to thealchemicalegg.com. Yes, it does. So, um, yeah, so they, well, you know, it, it's, 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 I think a lot of people are sort of confused by the, uh, the title. Mm -hmm. It's like when I say alchemical to people, somehow some people think they just sit here chemical. Right. Yes. <laughs> chemical, very different. Yeah, um, and, and or you know they they don't necessarily they don't know the adjective form of alchemy necessarily. Mm -hmm, true. Right. And the and the egg is is uh, the alchemical vessel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, the alchemist term for their vessel mm -hmm. because because the uh, philosopher's stone is born in it. Right. Uh, anyway, well, thank you so much, Robert. This has been yes, terrific. Oh my it's, goodness! It's, it's just um, it's been like having a private class with you. It's really wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> And just um, it, like sitting here taking notes and hoping my brain 